Hey, kid. Me? No, me. Yes, you. What do you think you're doing? Just walking. Walking, yeah, boys. You just walking. <laughs> Come here. Come here. Can't walk down this street anytime you feel like it, you know. Why not? Because we're gardening. <laughs> so got it. I ain't stopping you. We're gardening so punks like you don't get hurt. Now get out of here before I lose my boot. You're street, you know. Hear what I said? I said, beat it! You don't want to see. <laughs> <laughs> get his ass, man! <laughs> well, he's going! He's going! Get him! Get him, man! Here, kid, you want a potato? Hello, folks. Welcome to Cine Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill. Uh, this is one of those shows, one of those surplus shows, but still, still great. And uh, I'm without Suzanne and Iris tonight, but with me is uh, one half or one third of the the MSP Destroyed on Site podcast and one third of a podcast that I'm on, which is the last call of Torchies. Mr. Lee Russell, how you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. Always good to be back, and we're finally getting around to doing something we've been talking about doing and intended to do, what, years ago now, I think? Yeah, it's been a, few, been a few years since he's been yeah. away from us, and uh, that's a, it's a shame. I, I think we should do more of these, because his uh, the oeuvre of, of uh, the guy we're going to talk about today is pretty pretty thick, because mm-hmm. we could have did th- three of these westerns with him in it easily, because um, yeah. he's in one more that I know of for sure. But um, we're talking about Michael J. Pollard, of course. Uh, if you guys heard that show a few years back, we did one where he's kind of in, and one that we really happen to love a lot, which was um, L- Little Foss and Big Halsey. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I really like both these films. I-, I can't wait to hear Lee talk about them, too. Um, but we're doing this show again. We, we say long overdue, Lee. You know, we were supposed to do Dirty Little Billy, and then I discovered this one because that's what the Internet's great for is having folks talk about old movies that are new to you and yeah. it's um it's new to me and I like it. So I'll uh kick it to Lee first and ask him what he's been watching lately. Uh just a couple things I'll mention real quick. Um so I haven't had a chance to do a lot of uh watching recently, but uh, I watched something that popped up on Shudder. I think it was on Shudder that I watched it. It was either Shudder or Netflix. It's called The Devil Beneath, uh twenty twenty three. Um this is interesting in the sense that it's kind of a bit of a carny move by the director because this is just a film he made in 2016 that he's cut like 20 minutes out of and and repackaged as a new film. Um, it's an Australian horror film, so that always sort of piques my interest. Uh, it, it was originally called the uh, the 2016 version of it was originally called uh, Red Billabong. Uh, and if people are not familiar with what a billabong is, it's basically a oxbow lake, you know, the, uh, a lake that forms when a river's um, direction is, you know, cut off or diverted. And, and it leaves like a pond that uh, sometimes will, you know, uh, empty over the summer and refill during a rainy season or it'll just leave a standing kind of like stagnant, boggy kind of lake kind of thing. Um, but the monster in it, it's a monster movie is a is a, a bunyip which is a sort of legendary australian water monster and i was really kind of excited for this because generally you don't get really cool australian monsters in australian movies all that often um so this this was this was uh piquing my interest 
and it was a little less than uh, great. Um, I mean, it's 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 not terrible or anything like that. It it has a likable cast, uh, but the sort of visual visualization for the bunyip once we finally see it uh, is very unimpressive. It, it's just like some sub Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings troll looking thing, whereas the bunyip's supposed to be like this kind of uh, water cat or water horse kind of mishmash kind of monster that's like really vicious and 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 horrible looking. Where this this kind of looks like a, a jumped up Belrog kind of thing, um, which I wasn't too happy with. And you know it, it doesn't really go anywhere. They try to put a little too much into the film. Uh, I do not want to watch the Red Billabong version of this because this movie drags like a motherfucker. And if and if there's a longer version of this movie, I got to imagine it drags even worse. So would not recommend this. Um, so move on from that. Uh, the only other thing I watched, and uh, I'm a little late to this. I, I know everyone else is probably who's a horror fan at the very least has watched these. Uh, the latest one just came out in the series, uh, the In Search of Darkness uh, documentary series. That's that's covering like, you know, covers horror in the 80s and 90s and whatever. Um, I was like, you know what, I should start getting into this and, and see, see what it's all about. Uh, so I did, I went back to the first one and I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll just binge these. And then I saw that e each one of them is like almost five hours long. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> it's going to take a little while. Um, yeah, yeah. Unless you're like at work and you have one of those jobs where you can sit and watch something for hours and hours. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 it'll keep your interest, but it's still six hours long. Yeah. Uh, I'm halfway through it. I did this and I started it like half a week ago. So just to, to give people an idea, um, it's, it's kind of like a thing where it's like, you know, just before I'm going to bed, I'll watch like 30 minutes of it or something like that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's all right. Uh, like I, I see where the, um, uh, woodlands dark and whatever deep the, you know, the, the folk horror one that came out, uh, just last year or whatever with the, uh, that's also like three, four hours long. Um, I can see where they took their format from basically. Cause it's kind of the same idea where it's trying to cover a little bit of everything. Um, although I feel like the, the folk horror one touches a little deeper and, and touches the obscure a little bit more than. Well, yeah, this, there's a lot of deep cuts, does. deep cuts in the folk horror one. And, um, mm. I will say, I just watched the third one. The second one's all sci-fi by the way, 80 sci-fi. Oh, okay. Um, and they they get into a lot more of those deeper cuts on the third one because I'm not saying hey they have nothing left. It's like no, they have they have a lot more worlds to explore. Uh, mm. Just hearing um, somebody talk about Sleepaway Camp two and how Michael Hitchcock, uh, the actor from Best in Show and yeah. other other joints, uh, writer of Glee too. He he also he also wrote Sleepaway Camp two under an assumed name, and um, mm. that makes me happy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I look forward to getting to the third one then. If if they're if you're going for the deeper cuts on that one, that that that's awesome. Like I I'm I'm enjoying this. You know, it's fine. It, it's very well made. It's got a lot of familiar talking heads who are enjoyable to listen to. Like none of it feels super pretentious or annoying. It's just for this one. Um, it's like I know a lot of this stuff, so a lot of it's just more nostalgia comfort food than it is me learning anything new whereas you know the folk horror one it's like oh i don't know any of this shit like they're covering like 300 movies here and like 200 of them i've never fucking heard of um so uh th that's the big difference uh, like that that's the more scholarly 
kind of researched one compared to this one, which is, you know, more pop culture-y, uh, I guess, in a way. Well, but uh, What I liked about the Four Core one is that, and I watched it on Shutter recently, probably within the last couple of weeks, is that they um, they didn't dwell on one thing too long. They just mm-hmm. kept, they kept that train going, you know? Yeah. And when I did my original review of that, I was like, okay, the stuff they're covering here, the scope they're covering, they do an pr- impressive job of touching on a lot of details about the different things. And it, and it feels like they could easily take any section of that folklore documentary and expand it into its own full length documentary. So that got me excited that like, Oh, maybe they will at some point. That'd be cool. Um, but, but yeah, no, uh, that's basically all I've been watching lately. So <laughs> what annoyed me about that, um, being on Shutter, as they called it a Shutter exclusive, when you and I both mm-hmm. know that Severin put it out, and yeah, <laughs> oh, I see, I see, like Severin's stuff and and other uh, companies that work with Shutter fairly closely, just like hoard all over the place. Like there's there's another streaming thing that I haven't signed up for, but there's a lot of free shit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'm just gonna quickly really quickly check uh, my bookmarks mid um midnight pulp is is a series is a uh, streaming uh thing and they have a lot of free shit on it and then they have some exclusive stuff and a lot of the free shit they have have on it is actually really fucking good um but i, I notice a lot of the stuff that shows up on shutter or shout factory tv also shows up on this and some stuff that has disappeared from Shutter and Shout Factory TV is still on the Midnight Pulp uh, thing. So um, if people haven't checked out Midnight Pulp, it's a nice little uh, little streaming thing, uh, especially if you're into like horror and exploitation. And uh, they even got like some um, adult stuff and, and shit like that, that, uh, you know, like some of those uh, DVD companies uh, release. Yeah, I found it on um, as a Roku channel long ago, and I haven't, mm-hmm. haven't looked at it in a long time, but it's, it's still on my screen there on my TV. So, yeah, um, I have to, re- I have to re- uh, revisit that. I haven't looked at it in a long time though. It's just there's so many of those um, there's so many of those little Roku channels that have random stuff. Like I think one of them is like one of the only places you can stream Suspiria, which I'm, I'm oh, not, really? I'm not a huge fan of Suspiria, but. The fact that it's not have any it has any streaming licenses anywhere, but it kind of blows my mind a little bit. It's, it's yeah, I'm yeah. um, I'm I like Suspiria and all. I love the remake a lot better. And, well, there's that. You know, I, <laughs> I I can't hate at it. I can't do it. I feel like people do, and yeah, yeah, it's really good though. I, I enjoyed the whole In Search of Darkness trilogy and um, another Severin release that, that never made it to show. I don't think was um, Tales of the Uncanny, which was the oh. uh, Anthology uh, documentary. Oh, really? oh, that's, oh! That's worth I find that. That's worth the time for sure. It's good. I'm a, I'm a big anthology buff. I can I need to find that shit. A lot, a lot of amicus uh, talk on there. So, mm. good shit though. I, I, I might need a minute here. <laughs> yeah, I, I own the Blu-ray. I bought it. Through, I brought it right at the table, so it, it's there. Nice. Um, what I watched, I, I watched Skinner Marine because that is on Shutter right now. Oh yeah, what what is that like? It, it's 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 simplistic, and I'll say that in the nicest possible way. It's um, it was made on like fifteen grand Canadian, apparently. Mm-hmm. It shows because you know right at the beginning they 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 tell you like uh, all the cartoons the kids are watching are public domain and blah blah blah. I don't know why that has to be a message on the front of the movie, but it is what it is. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, basic plot of Skin and Rink is these two kids, um, uh, older sister and a younger brother, are left to all alone when their father leaves uh, the house and never comes back. And they wake up and all their windows and indoors are gone in the house. Mm. And it's it's a found footage film and it's filmed kind of shittily. I can see people's complaints about, oh, I'm getting sick of the foot cam. I'm getting sick of this and the other. But yeah. it's it's more the a point of view of the, the, the monster that's inside the house that you never see and they never explain, which I can appreciate about that. Yeah. And and the the point of view of the kids, you know, because this is all plays on the fears of, you know, you're, you being a kid. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, a scene where the, the little brother is forced to go to the bathroom by himself in the dark. And mm-hmm. this is something when, you, when you're six or seven years old that you, you're kind of afraid to walk in the hallway by yourself in the dark, you know? Yeah. Little shit like that I can appreciate about this movie and the fact that yeah, there's no jump scares at all in this movie, and that's one thing I hate about these movies like this, like like James Wan stuff, and you, know, you gotta show the monster. They don't show you the mm-hmm. monster. You just know he's there with a voice and creepiness. There's a point to where the little, little sister goes down, the, the little sister goes down, down, down to the basement, stupidly. People, mm-hmm. um, if monsters tell you to go down to the basement, you don't know who it is, don't go down to the basement, please. Because something horrible happens to her, you know, and you. But you don't okay. see it. You see the monster talking of and describing what happened to her. So, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't quite. It didn't quite stick the landing with the ending, in my opinion. Okay. But apparently, um, it made like two million at the box office. So, oh, there you it's, go. It's not a bad return on your fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, terrifier. <laughs> So it was it was good for what it was, but it's not something I'd probably go back to and have somebody explain the ending to me fourteen times. And oh, it's yeah. just um, it's good for a one time watch. I, I know X X loves it. His wife hates it. So there's um, mm-hmm. it's really divided in, in that sense. I've heard more complaints than than good things, but I I enjoyed my time with it. The, the first half an hour was a little rough, but once once it got going and you you knew these kids were by themselves. But then there's little stuff like you realize that if one of them had any gumption, they run out the front door because mm-hmm. they still had power and, and telephone in the house oh, and yeah. just get the fuck out because <laughs> yeah, yeah. all the windows and doors are gone anyway, you know? And there's like, oh, wow, the monster slammed the door. It's like, no, you, you have no doors in your house. They said this. And you, you can run away, you know? <laughs> Go find a neighbor for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, I be, Before it popped up on Shudder, I, I heard Skinamarink, and I didn't do any reading, and I was like, okay, so this is like a Sharon Lois and Bram doc. Yes, that, right. I, I get the joke for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I was, and I'll, then it said, no, it's a horror movie, and then I was like really intrigued, like, oh, is this a horror movie that's somehow using Sharon Lois and Bram footage in some sinister way? That's even more interesting. It's like, no, we're not doing that. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're not wrong because we are getting Winnie the Pooh blood and honey coming very soon. So, it's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I watched a, I watched a lot of TV. I watched uh, the um, first episode of The Last of Us just just before we started recording. I saw the first episode of that too. Yeah, uh, never played the video yeah. game. You know, Me not either. Not a gamer, but um, I heard Nick Offerman shows up on here, but I haven't seen him yet on here. But um. Solid, solid first episode. Um, 
play, playing into the pandemic just just a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. but leading leading into the whole z- zombie thing and people not trusting each other and the government sucks. But you know, yeah, it's, I it's, it's good. Yeah. I, I I like the I like the conceit. That, you know that it's like. It's it's that that fungus that turns ants and shit into zombies, and it's like the the whole thing is that it it makes the jump to humans, you know, which is a which is a rare thing for like uh, fungal uh, cultures to do, I guess, or whatever. But um, like I, I I like that it's it's kind of plausible, you know, like it, it it sounds plausible enough where it's like okay, it's not just another zombie thing. It's it's like it's a little bit more. Uh, rooted in in something you could believe might actually happen. Well, yeah, they play with the with the the opener of the show. You know mm-hmm. what would happen when global warming happens. Um, apparently, the fungus is going to heat up and kill us all. It's just yeah. uh, <laughs> it starts out great though. I mean, oh, oh girl, you know she should have listened to that fucking dog. The dog told her not to go in that fucking house. You know right away. Mm-hmm. And you know, you listen to the dog, you, you fucking get shot in the gut. Is all I'm going to say. Just, that's, yep. uh, she did. You know. Mm-hmm. But I, um, what else? I, I I've been watching Picard. I'm I'm late to the party with Picard. Oh yeah. And uh, finished the first season because the third season is coming. I figured it's time to shit her off the pot. The the third and final season, I think. Yeah, I I like I like the first two seasons, but they don't stick the landing very well on either one of them. I felt like that that's the big complaint I had with them. Other otherwise, I'm like, this is a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of care went into it too, as far as you know, not being just a cheap cash grab. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll say that with um, I haven't watched Discovery yet. But I heard it's very mm-hmm. good too, but I watched Lower Decks and I can't stop laughing. The the, the cartoon oh, yeah. series that they put on Paramount Plus. I heard they're I heard they're like you know, there's just holes, sort of like connected. Well, I I mean it's always been kind of connected in a way in a way, but like there's. They've been doing more to like, hey, we're gonna take lower deck references and characters and put them in our live action stuff, and I guess like that's a thing they they've been kind of like playing around with now. Yeah, it'd be fun. I wouldn't be against it. Yeah, they're they're mm-hmm. uh, it's a fun it's it's a fun show. It's, it's kind of like plays on the satire like Galaxy Quest did, and yeah, I I think that I'll I'll put it on paper that I think Galaxy Quest is the best Trek film that ever trekked, and um. <laughs> People need to check it out. They haven't, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's a great film. Um, my favorite episode of the uh, Picard series is well, maybe not favorite episode, but my favorite moment is when they had the uh, heist episode. I don't know if you got to that yet. Is it in the second season? I think I think it is in the second season. Maybe. Yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't care about spoilers, though. It's it's Picard playing like this French mercenary pirate dude, and he's got an eye patch, and and he's putting on this like bad accent and shit and then it's it's fucking hilarious i love it well i figured when q showed up some shit was gonna get, get out of whack so it's it, uh it does yeah but on um, the first season though the end of that first season i was like man fuck you jl you made me cry again you know mm-hmm. with the uh, the data stuff and yeah yeah <laughs> good shit though man uh one more thing i mentioned because like, i love frank Rillo so much i watched mm-hmm. um it's called Dixie Girl or Dixie Baby. I forget what it's called. But oh yeah, I saw that listed somewhere. I was like, okay, I, I might check that out. It's it's okay if you like Frank Grillo stuff. I mean, I'm big. I think he's as big as Scott Atkins to me as far as like independent action stars. He, he's good when he gets a good film, like uh, his the one he did, Wheelman. Yeah, it's good. Uh, 
I thought that was really good. Yeah. But this one is about um, he's like the go between the, the a governor of of I forget which which state it is is um in cahoots with with cartel people like they like keep the okay. peace in his state, but when um. The the cartel guy's brother gets executed, you know, via lethal injection, you know, legally or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, he decides he's going to rub it into these cartel people that you know they're going to come after the other guy next, so he fucks them over. <laughs> so Grillo is like his number two guy, the governor, like the go between. So the cartel guys start killing people. The whole plot of the film was they they kidnap his his daughter, who is not little at all. She's like a teenage age. So he goes into like video game mode and she starts murdering people. Oh, okay. To get to the daughter. All right, sign me up. So that's there, and uh, it's good. It's decent. I, I've I've seen better Grillo output, but it's it's worth your time. Sounds sounds a little bit like like an update on like uh, Man on Fire or something along those lines, kind of. Yeah, yes, yeah, it sounds about right. I haven't watched that movie, movie forever though. With Denzel, right? Um, I'm thinking actually of the uh, Scott Glenn original. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I know this thing. Yeah, I, I love. I, man, I'm big on fucking eighty Scott Glenn stuff right now, where it's like he plays the action hero who gets his ass handed to him all the time, <laughs> where he's just like he's he's capable, but he's not that capable, and and people can fucking fuck him up, and, and often do like that in the challenge and stuff like that where he just gets his ass handed to him by he goes to Japan and thinks he's tough shit and Japanese guys just fucking waste him every time he goes up against them. That's because he weighs 135 pounds, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's about it for me. But like I said, we're talking about two two more Michael J. Pollard films. Um, Character actor, uh, wonderful guy who acted in many, many great things. But we're doing two of the his Western outputs, which I think are very fun. Uh, the Legend of Frenchie King uh, from 1971, we'll talk about it first. And uh, Dirty Little Billy, which is um, not your average biopic picture about Billy, mm-hmm. the, Clay, Billy the Kid. We're going to get into it, though. And a lot of stuff in here is, is, is um, what is written. And I, I can appreciate that. It's not your MTV, you know, Billy the Kid story. Oh yeah, this ain't this ain't fucking Young Guns, that's for sure. I could still I, I just watched Young Guns too the other day. I still enjoyed the fuck out of it, but I digress. You know, <laughs> it's fun, but yeah, it is. It... it's not this though. But um, we'll start with uh, these in chronological order uh, with the Legend of Frenchie King from 1971. Right for this trailer. Soon, a western. Big one with the thunder of horses. A saloon. Violence. And the train held up by desperados. Led by one of the most notorious figures in the history of the West, the legendary. We find four men with that certain look, cool, intelligent, blindly following their beloved leader, whom you know as... Where's my hat? Where's my prison? 
It's my horse. In spite of these efforts, ruthless and efficient, of one of the most famous lawmen of the West, two rival gangs fight a merciless war to find hidden treasure. You won't miss this savage adventure when you know that the two leaders are... And that the ruthless sheriff is... You got a speciality? Yes. Lunatics. Frenchy King from 1971. Your cheapo plot synopsis is this. Outlaw sisters in the Old West inherit a ranch and try to settle down and develop relationships with neighboring family and lots of brothers. That's a weak sauce synopsis that's, there. That's really not what happens. That's not really what happens, no. It's <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, there there's a, a legendary outlaw cut called Frenchy King, which starts with a pretty badass train robbery, them robbing mm-hmm. a train. And, um... You find out that she lives in this village, and um, they find out that there's oil at this one property that this group of um, ladies of the evening happen to move into and want to start a, a brothel there. So yeah. there is a fight between those two people, and um, there's oil there, and Michael J. Pollard is, is the sheriff in this movie, always losing his horse and being hilarious. You know? and, uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll get into the cast right now. Um, Two, I would argue, classic beauties of the 1970s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Bridget Bardot as Louise, Claudia Cardendale as Marie, Michael J. Pollard as uh, Le Sheriff. It is a French Western, by the way, guys. If you guys didn't know. Uh, yeah, this this threw me off, right? Because it's like, okay, it's a it's a French, Spanish, Italian, and British co-production. Yeah. Like, so probably it's going to lean towards Spaghetti Western and it kind of does, but it's like everyone who's involved in the production of this, I have no clue who the fuck they are and what they've done because <laughs> as I was looking at their credits and it's like French cinema is such a fucking blind spot for me like most of the time and I'm like, I'm reading their credits and I'm like, not seen it, not seen it not seen it, not seen it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there, there, there's some other folks in there too. That's your, your core cast, though. Um, um, I will mention Patty Shepard. Yeah, go for it, man. I'm sorry. One of the girls. Yeah. As uh, Petite Pluie, 
Um, she's a little bit of a favorite of mine because she's in the uh, Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill, Watch Out, We're Mad. Nice. And, and then she, like, rounded off her career doing a bunch of uh, 80s horror stuff. Like, she was in Slugs and a couple other things. Awesome. Yeah, just, just you know, out of random almost. And uh, she's really good. She she died early, too, unfortunately. Like, yeah, sucks, but. Yeah, but this this is, um, well, this is a much better storyline. Here we go. The story takes place in Texas in the 1890s. It begins with a train robbery staged by Louise uh, French King and her four sisters. Among the loot uh, is in the title is The Little Pea Ranch, which just happens to be located on a field of unexplored oil next to property of Marie Sarazen and her four brothers. Louise and her brothers, sister, Louise and her sisters decide to give up life of crime and settle down on the Little Pea Ranch, but are harassed by Marie and her kin who are determined to force them out and acquire the oil-rich property for herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes more sense. Thank you, IMDb. Yeah, that's way better. <laughs> but, um, yeah, fun flick, man. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kick it to you, Lee, and uh, give us your thoughts on this one, brother. Uh, I like this one. It, it's kind of slight. Like, there's there's not a lot to the story, really. It, it's very much, like, bare bones just to put the comedy on. And like this is very much like a more of a comedic western. It's it's slapsticky. It's fun. Um, I like that you know right off the bat. There's no hiding that Frenchy King is in his in Frenchy King's gang are a bunch of slim, attractive ladies. Uh, because wow, um, they all look good. But although like I think the the, the sort of can the uh, the pretense here is that like they're trying to pretend that Frenchy King is a male outlaw with a male outlaw gang like it was like her dad or something was the original Frenchie King and they just kind of took up the mantle afterwards sort of thing so I, I thought that was kind of cool uh, and they're kind of like Zorro like uh, they're, they're all in black and then you know they got like the face masks and stuff like that they all, they all kind of look like Zorro a little bit um, this is a Christmas movie of all things which is really weird Um the they and they tell you up front basically it's kind of a christmas movie and i also find it weird that you know this is a french production so this takes place in french town usa basically um because this is like a whole old old west town that's exclusively full of french people um for the most part uh, other than like michael j pollard as like the american sheriff who has who's like desperately trying to learn to speak french because he's love-struck by Bridget Bardot and Claudia Cardinale, and he's trying to learn as much French as he can so he can maybe impress them and and get to fuck them. Um, but I, I like how the jokes often focus on, like, French stereotypes uh, that are just kind of, like, transplanted to the Old West. Although, you know, like, in reality, uh, not a lot of French culture in the Old West, uh, because that was more like... Uh, Pioneer expansion days was when the French were big in the New World, and then they kind of lost a couple wars and <laughs> were kind of kicked out of the Old West for the most part. Um, I think Pollard is a little underused, but he's every every time he shows up, he's charming as hell, and he's really hilarious. Just being is so thirsty for, especially for Claudia Cardinale, where he's just like drooling over here all the time. Um, I. <laughs> There, there is like conflict in this. Like, there's a there's a guy who originally had the, uh, I guess the deed or the map to the uh, property or whatever with the oil, and he's like this. Like, this is the this is the part of it's the opening of the movie. This is the part where it's like purely spaghetti western, where he's like he's talking to some scientist. And he's like, oh yes, there's oil under this property and all that, and then the guy just like 
he just up and shoots that dude. It's like, well, thank you. Uh, you know, and I don't like sharing. And he, he takes like the, the, the deed or whatever. Um, but he gets uh, waylaid on the train robbery and he gets his ass handed to him. Like he, he gets thrown off the fucking train and he's left for dead. Uh, some Chinese, and like, I really hope this person was Chinese and not some yellow face, but probably was yellow face. A character brings him back from the dead with acupuncture of all things, which I thought was kind of amusing. Um, but yeah, this is this is fun. Like like I said, it, it's kind of slight. There's there's not a lot going on plot plot wise, but there is a lot going on like with just gags and fun stuff. And like the the real novelty and attraction here is that really incredibly sexy women doing cowboy stuff. And making all the hapless dudes in the town drool over them. Um, and, you know, like teasing skin and then finally delivering here and there later in the film. Uh, and there's a cat fight in it, too, which is not terrible. It's not the best cat fight I've ever seen. But uh, we do get the the sort of one on one between Cardinale and Bardot. And uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I dug this. I, I get the, the whole playing it a comedy thing, but I think that's the the reason why you mentioned you mentioned Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer films. You know, mm-hmm. why why we enjoy westerns like this because it it plays in and not taking itself too seriously. And you mentioned the the I, I'm not sure if they were Asian faced either, but yeah, but I, well, the, the the version I watched at Tubi was so bad that I couldn't tell. Yeah, and and I wasn't gonna like troll through the credits and find a person and see if yeah. they were actually Asian or not. I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole because I think it respects the cultures pretty good too with, with the the French thing kind kind of in a way. Yeah. It's, it's kind of overblown, but the whole like you mentioned, he gives him acupuncture to 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 revive him. You know, it's not like you know he was smoking a pipe with a big old Fu Manchu mustache coming out. No. It wasn't crazy. We could have been, but it wasn't crazy like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, our female heroes in this movie are, are pretty awesome. I, I love the fact that hey, we found a place to settle down after we we stole all this money. And again, beautiful European women in this movie, all, all over it. And, yeah, testament to how fucking beautiful both these women are. Um. They're both in their late thirties at this point. Yeah, Claudia Cardinale is thirty-seven, and Bridget Bardot is thirty-nine at this point. And it's like they do not look it at all. Yeah, you mentioned the cat fight, like towards the end, when they finally are fed up with each other, and you know, because mm-hmm. the the one um, we got to scroll down. I forget their names now. Damn it, uh, Marie, who's our, who's the rancher? You know, is just she just wants this land because she knows there's fucking gold on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, she knows there's like oil on there, so she's not gonna put up with, with Louise's shit, Bridget yeah. Bardot. So they finally get fed up and they fight each other. Now, when Lee says, you know, there's not much nudity to be had, you get you get one pair of boobs in this movie. Mm-hmm. But these women are wearing corsets to to, to beat the band. It's just propping up them them puppies and. Mm-hmm. How Titty didn't fall during that cat fight, I'll never figure out. I, I don't know, a... man, because they're they're pa- they're beating the shit out of each other, and like they're both giving each other really good licks. Like it, it's a very even fight where they're just like each one is like at the end. It's it's like Roddy Piper, and and, and Keith David, and in, in, uh, they live right where it's like uh, they're they're not. Another, neither one of them is really winning. They're like just beating each other to the point where n- the other one can't win. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I respect you now. You know, at the, the, mm-hmm. the end of the fight. You know, and... Yeah. 
Yeah, but how, how, how were them bosoms then pop out of that the, them outfits? I have no idea. It's just yeah, bizarre. I don't know. And like they do have they do have one scene where a bunch of like where um, Bridget Bardot's gang is like uh, bathing in a in a creek or whatever, and and there's like a lot of like you know nice backs and uh, yes. and a, a side boobs and stuff. And then Bridget Bardot, maybe it's a stunt ass, I don't know, but we do see her character's bare ass at one point when Michael J. Pollard pulls a, a Baluto from Animal House and, like, spies on her. Yeah. Yeah, he's fun in this movie. He's just the, the, the classic, you know, d- dumb sheriff, you know, stranger in a strange land thing. I feel bad for him, man, because he's, like, you know, he's tried his best. He's, you know, he's like, I'm going to learn French so I can, like, you know, uh, win one of these ladies. And, and you know, Pollard's looking pretty good here, too. Yeah. You know? he's, he's nice and slim. He's you know he's he's still got the he's got the chipmunk cheeks and everything, but he's a handsome looking dude in this one. You know he he, sh- he should have a chance. He should have a chance. They, they they shouldn't treat him the way they treat him in this one. Well, you can't keep up with this horse, bro. It just it's it's, mm. it's, it's a constant gag in this film that he he's constantly losing his hat and his horse and yeah, it, it works every time for me. You think it'd get boring, but <laughs> it works. Yes. Every- he gets handcuffed to a dog at one point. Oh, it's so good! Because <laughs> there's a point in the film where the the, the dickhead, you know, with with the deed, um, throws a dog out the window. They, they don't show him throw the dog, but it's assumed he throws the dog out the window. Yeah, and, uh, I appreciate that movie. They just chuck a dog out of a window, and um, little dogs going down the train tracks. You know, little little limpy and. Fucking, then you got Michael J. Power, this fucking adorable dog who who's handcuffed to, and you know it's 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 silly shit like that that I can enjoy the hell out of this movie. And um, but like I said, the the train the train robbing scene, um, you, you're in 1971, so these are just irresponsible stunts all over the place. So oh, yeah, they're running top of the train, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and you know I, they they look amazing. Like 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 Lee said, this is a, a lady gang. But you know they're they're slim and they 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 still they look kind of feminine in retrospect. But you would know these weren't like dudes doing this, and it just um it's a great it's a great scene, a great start start up to the movie actually. Yeah. And and, and more on the stunt work or, or lack or lack thereof actually. Um, it, I read somewhere I don't know if this is true, but it feels like it is when I'm watching when I'm watching the cat fight at the end. I don't think um. I don't think uh, Bridget Bardot and uh, Claudia Cardinale are necessarily uh, having a lot of stunt work happen in that fight. I, it's mostly them actually doing the stuff. So, like, a, a lot of that choreographed fight is, is just them doing it. Uh, like, there's a couple faraway shots where it's like, okay, maybe that's a that's a stunt double where, you know, like she's doing, like, a, a roll on the ground or whatever kind of thing. But for the most part, they're just, like, sitting there smacking each other in the face, which is pretty good. Yeah, I think one of my favorite characters of the film that is not really uh, we've mentioned yet is I forget the character's even name, I'm, but I'm gonna refer to him as Frenchy Spinell because he, <laughs> he he looks like Joe Spinell if he was French. <laughs> he's he's in the casino scene while she he, she's uh-huh. they're fixing the roulette wheel <laughs> and all, all over the town and stuff. But if if you see the film, you guys should watch this film. It's free on Tubi, like Lee said, and. The the quality is okay to to decent. I'd say it's a good six point five out of a ten as far as quality goes. I mean, I do I do love that you know the quality is of that old like like it's it's straight up a VHS rip. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it totally is, and it's and it's one of those things where the VHS is so worn out that at the end when the bad guy comes into the town with his gang and they're all wearing red suits, 
those red suits bleed right into the screen. Yeah. Like, they're everywhere. Oh, boy. Yeah, but that, yeah, Frenchie Spinell was um, one of my favorite parts of the movie because he just shows up, like, not doing, having any dialogue, but just, like, up to devious shit. Mm-hmm. He looked like Joe Spinell, but if he was French. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple of trivia items here on, on IMDb's that I'll mention. The Little P Ranch was built specifically for this film, but remained standing after filming was completed and would go on to appear in the following movies Viva La, Muer- La Muerte Tua, 1971, uh, La Banda JNS, I'm sure Cronaca Criminale de, de, del Far West, 1972, uh, El Mio Nome a Shanghai Joe, which I, I'd imagine. Shanghai Joe. Yeah. I, mm. I've seen that. <laughs> That's fun. I re- watched that recently, actually. I think on yeah. Tubi. You know. Yeah. I um, love Shanghai Joe. Uno dos tres disparo otra vez, 1973. And uh, the Spikes game, which I have seen from 1974. It, it yeah. came up on there. Uh, ranch burned down in an unknown year, leaving the only the chimney standing. It remains as so as of January 2017. And uh, the, the last thing I'll mention that Maria, Louise and, and Maria's fight was filmed in seven days. So I guess it was highly choreographed. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. Because it, it, like it, I, I will say it looks like like more of a real fight than you would expect from these two. You know, two really hot women like bashing it out. Like you kind of expect maybe they go a little light on things. It actually is a pretty good looking fight. Like it, it looks like they're laying in their shit. So I, I would not be surprised that they actually did a lot of uh, you know choreography uh, for for that. We'll have to wait for a, a special edition Blu-ray to come out eventually. And I, oh yeah, and well, I, I'm sure that will happen. I, I'm talking to you, Kino. You'll put out anything, and I'm I'll, I'll, I'm I'm in if you put it out. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's got the elements of this in the vault somewhere, fucking do it. Just I mean, you know, put it out there. At least stream it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so this film, women, women, beautiful women are are, are uh, featured. Michael J. Pollard is featured even more than in one of the last films that we watched, and mm-hmm. I um I had a great time with this. This is just like like Lee said, this is that comedic western. That's not really crazy western. There's not a whole lot to the story, but the 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 antics you get and the the story that you do get, you're you're in it to the end. It's it's not there's not a lot of lulls here, so. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd say uh, run to run to to um, good old Tubi and watch this because you get a good time with it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, final thoughts and what do you give it one to ten, Lee? Um, yeah, the, you know if if you like a little bit of comedy and your your sort of uh, spaghetti adjacent westerns is what this kind of is uh, for the for the time and place. And I mean it, it's got a really good you know central cast. Your your three main leads are. Excellent. Uh, you know, Pollard, Cardinale, and Bardo are all having fun in this, and they keep it moving. They keep it light and, and sort of, you know, fleety, but it, it, it's fun. Um, I'd, I'd throw about a, yeah, you know what? I'm actually going to be even generous because I, I do like it. it I'm going to throw a seven at it. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it's kind of charming, fun thing that you can get done in an hour and a half and it doesn't feel like an hour and a half like it, it went by pretty quick and uh you know you don't have to think about it afterwards or anything like that you just like appreciate it for what it is it, it's a it's a fun little piece that they did and uh yeah it's kind of cool yeah i dug it too man like i said hi- highly recommended to check it out it's just um it's something you can have a lot of fun with and you know turn your brain off for a while and watch beautiful 
talented, big-breasted women ride horses mm. I, and um, kick people's asses and beat each other's asses and, you know... Frenchie's yeah. Frenchie's Spinel for the win, people. Uh, <laughs> seven out of ten. I, I second Lee's rating. I, I I would recommend to check it out, though, especially since it's free. You know. Yeah. All you gotta sacrifice is a few thirty-second ads, and you can yeah. watch it for free. Um, speaking of films you can watch for free, because you really can't really find it many many places. The film we're getting into next is Dirty Little Billy from 1972, and we'll get into that right after this trailer. I'm going to look for you high and low tomorrow. Like all good lads your age, you're going to run away. And if you come back here, so help me, boy, I'll kill you. Dirty Little Billy is not about the Billy the Kid you've known and loved. It's about the real Billy the Kid. And the real Billy the Kid was a punk. You just can't walk down this street anytime you feel like it, you know. Your street, you know. You know what I said? I said, beat it! Where's your manners? You. This kid ain't no punk. This kid is a friend of mine. guys here's our review of dirty little billy from 1972 uh this stars of course michael j pollard as your not so outlaw hero yet uh as, yeah. as, as billy billy bonnie um richard evans as as one of his confidants goldie uh lee purcell as his lady and i guess michael pollard's la- uh billy's lady too in a way uh burl yeah. uh get charles aidman as ben Ar- arntrum you get the folks, you know, I love to get into all this stuff, but Billy's mother and stepfather. Uh, Duran Hamilton as Catherine McCarty, William Sage as Henry McCarty. Then you get uh, some character actors that you're like, wow, goddamn, you know, because Gary Busey shows up in this film as Basil, mm-hmm. Basil Crabtree, a very young Gary Busey. Uh, Dick Van Patten shows up in this movie. <laughs> Frank, Frank Welker as young punk in this movie. Um, yeah, we're, voice we're, actor, yeah. yes. And uh, Severin Darden uh, shows up in this film as Big Jim McDaniel, Big, uh, Big Jim McDaniel, mm-hmm. and um, Ed Lauder um, shows up in this film. I forget the character's name. Tyler, he's the uh, he's one of the uh, one of the gang or whatever. Yeah, the, the costume in the street. Really, really early, you know, in the role for him. And um, I've always enjoyed that actor and everything. Oh yeah, he's excellent. Um, now, now, did 
did you did you see the trivia that said Nick Nolte was apparently in this? That's what it says, but I, I didn't see him in the credits at all, unless he's under another name. Is is he? Well, yeah, he's not. He's uncredited. Like if you look at the IMDb credits, it's like uncredited. Nick Nolte as uh, punk or something like or something along those lines, like gang leader or some shit. Um, is he the guy? My question is: Is he the guy who, when Billy first walks into town? Uh, comes, you know, and he gets accosted by that gang. Is is Nick Dolte the guy who comes running out of the uh, other shop on the other side of the street and gets shot down in the mud? Because you never really clearly see his face. And I, I, think I would have maybe that was him. I would have to try to watch this again, and, and, and they say try. I'm I'm gonna watch this again, but I had to look mm-hmm. for him next time. You know, um, this is directed. Uh, by Stan Dragotti, who, who I, I know as the director of Necessary Roughness, which is one yeah. of my favorite um, football movies of all time. Or Mr. Mom and the Man with the Red One Red Shoe. Yeah, some classic. Yeah. Lo- love at first bite. I, I gotta give George Hamilton some love. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah r- real classic 80s director. Uh, this is made, you know, in the se- early 70s. So he really wasn't, didn't find his feet yet with the comedy stuff, but yeah. This this is not really a comedy. This is um oh no. <laughs> this is this is the other Billy the Kid that you may not know, you know, because this goes from the them moving from New York to I, I forget where they where do they move to? Uh, <laughs> just some fucking dirtball place. Yeah, it's like, like it's like Kansas, I think it is, or something yeah, like some, that. Something like that. Like it, it's before you know Billy the Kid gets involved in the Lincoln County War and all that shit. Like it, it, it's kind of like here's the here's the. Uh, Here's the origin story of a sociopath, basically, you know, kind of thing, or psychopath, really, when it comes to Billy the Kid. Um, but yeah, and I mean, this this plays fast and loose with what we know and don't know about oh, yeah. Billy the Kid. So yeah, because you know, if, if you look it up, you know, there's not even a clear a clear date when he was born, you know, mm-hmm. or, or where he was born all the way. So, but uh, the, the 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 mother and the stepfather are a thing because his father didn't pass away. And it's, it's said in the history of Billy that this uh, most of the stuff in the film, as far as like technical stuff, is true. That they did they did move from from New York to a rural area to to become yeah. like dirt farmers, basically. Yeah. And um, naturally, Billy in this film wasn't feeling that, and his stepdad was a dickhead, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least according to the movie, I'm not sure how true that is, but he became a he became a degenerate uh, at some point in time because. I really love the way he's portrayed in this movie, though. Michael J. Power plays it so well. Kind of like his, that, 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 like, that grown little kid, kind of. He's a slacker. He's like, like, he's like looking, at his, looking at his shoes all the time and crying to his mom and shit, you know. And... This, this is a this is a guy who, if if he if he grew up in the in the 20th century, he would be he'd be like you know the the guy down the street you know in the 1990s who just eats pizza pockets all day and sits at home watching cartoons like he's 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 a guy who doesn't want to like work for anything he's he's a very lazy like kind of slacker guy and also he's a psychopath too like on on top of that like he's he's got some mental problems going on um but but he but he's very it's 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 pollard and he's very charming so like that kind of that's the attraction to this. It's like you're seeing like this really, like in in reality, Billy the Kid probably not a very charming, nice guy at all. Uh, Pollard brings some charm to this and makes you know the the historical character a more palatable fictional version, uh, while at the same time still like 
maintaining the idea that this is the more gritty Billy the Kid origin story where we see that he's, you know, he's kind of he's coming up through shit and and he and you can kind of see why he is the way he is. Yeah, it, it does it, you know, in a way to where you 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 don't feel sorry for him either at the same mm-hmm. time cuz the whole idea of him running away from home was his, his father, his stepfather kicks him out sort of but he doesn't want to be a dirt farmer either, so he's like, man, fuck this shit. So he just, mm-hmm. he turns tails and run. And I, I, I really enjoy that he played this role in a way to say, we're not going to make this guy a hero, but we're, we're going to make you show, you, show you his humble beginnings too, and kind of make you feel bad for him, but not really, you know? Yeah, I mean, this, this is what they're, you know, so this is a revisionist Western, if people hadn't guessed already. Um, you know, and it's very much taking its cues from being, you know, responding to how spaghetti westerns, you know, when they broke out into the scene, how audiences responded to them, where it's like, oh, look at this gritty, bleak look at the West. And, you know, so Hollywood was like, okay, we got to start doing some of these. And so there's a bit of that here. Um, this is this is very much like just showing Billy the Kid as this white trash immigrant who, you know, has no prospects like like the biggest prospect he has is toiling toiling away on a field for the rest of his life until you know his body gives out basically like that that that's his future and he decides i don't want that shit um he's not particularly smart he's not particularly talented or anything like that but he and he's kind of lazy but he is driven to like run away from you know just spending the rest of his life dirt farming and so, you know, he, he, he gets the fuck out of there and it, it, it's interesting just, just to see like this kind of film, uh, made at this time, you know, very much just again, revisionist Western where it, it, it's not, it, it definitely doesn't play into your expectations of what's going to happen. Yeah. Cause he's just playing into the history of his, you know, before he became an outlaw, he, he, he becomes, mm. he becomes a killer in the end, but even in the end, He's he's still hesitant until mm-hmm. you know he he does pull the trigger because they're, they're constantly when he get, when he gets with um his confidants yeah Goldie yeah Go, Goldie and Burl yeah he's still this little wet behind the ears kid that Goldie's kind of protecting in a way and he, but he, he hasn't gotten it even the, the it shot so well too there's the mm-hmm. scene where he's sitting at a table and he's he's holding up that big ass gun. That looks yeah. about ten feet bigger than he, his whole body. Oh man, everybody here looks dwarfed by the guns they hold, and it's just handguns. Yeah, that's especially it. Kind of shows you know how how not not in, how, in, in stature, but like how small he is, even mm-hmm. as a human being, compared to the way you know the gun looks in his hand, which looks fucking massive. Yeah. So I, I got to give Dragoti, you know, some, some love for that. Just 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 the way he filmed stuff like that, the, the yeah. little stuff. And as far as the history goes, most people tend to agree, uh, you know, historians tend to agree that Billy the Kid was no taller than like 5'7". He was pretty diminutive, you know, like, and he was, you know, he was, he was like a skinny 5'7". Um, so, you know, that works. And Pollard was, I think Pollard was even shorter than that, right? Like he was more like a 5'5". Five, five, ish kind of guy he, yeah. he was not a very tall guy i've never checked but he wasn't very tall though yeah um i i do find it interesting though and i i don't think they ever really uh 
I don't, I don't know if if they're if they're doing this or not with the film. Um, I, I was just it was from this first time watch, just like trying to pick the, pick out things. Uh, Goldie is very much what the typical Hollywood representation of Billy the Kid is. Like it, it almost feels like he's learning to be Billy the Kid from Goldie. So and so Goldie is a, you know very much a mentor character to him in this. And, and, you know, Goldie, I don't, I don't believe there's any actual historical, uh, you know, counterpart to Goldie uh, in Billy the Kid's actual life. So, like, just as a fictional tool in this script for this movie, Goldie seems to be like, you know, oh, here, both here's the Hollywood version of what Billy the Kid is. And he also serves as the mentor that guides uh, Pollard to eventually becoming Billy the Kid. Um, it almost makes you want a sequel where that happens, where, you know, he uh, supersedes Goldie and becomes Billy the Kid eventually and, you know, and, and, and does this thing. Um, but I, I, I just thought it was a nice little uh, thing that maybe there was some, you know, deeper thought on this. It's like, yeah, let's 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 play around a little bit with the myth. Let's play around with, uh, you know, I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. <laughs> I, I lost it. I lost the thought. No, you're OK. No, I get, I get what you're saying, though. It, it, but I think they, they it's written so organically in this movie to say, okay, this is the guy that kind of, you know, you know, led the way. You know, this this kind of not not paternal figure, but like, you know, this this, this is the brother. guy. This is the guy, yeah, the big brother. Like, this is the guy that I want to be, and you know, mm-hmm. but not really because he's still even even in the end when they're they're in the hills and they're being pursued. You know, he's still hesitant to fire that gun until he yeah. does, and then you know, I guess all bets are off from there. But even after he does it, though, it's like he he feels remorse at that point. So he's not quite, he's not quite the outlaw. But this is the the, the birth of an outlaw, and right. And, 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 Gold, and Goldie's just like he he's a amoral sociopath. Like he, he's he's not a guy you can trust. Like like you know, as much as Billy the Kid looks up to him as sort of a, like a big brother mentor figure. He Goldie's always like two minutes away from like killing Billy the kid. If, if he has to um, like throughout the film, he's always just like on the edge of, I, I could flip a coin right now and shoot you in the face kind of thing. And like the only reason he kind of keeps Billy the kid around is because Billy the kid's his only friend at the end where, you know, he kind of is dependent on him for now kind of thing. Like it doesn't feel like a partnership that's going to last much longer um, by the end of the film. Uh, but by, I mean, this movie is really fucking gritty and takes like the romance out of the old West myth, right? Like it's, it's very much closer to what life probably was like for William Bonnie to some point. Um, and again, like I said, he's definitely not, he probably was not as likable as he's depicted here. You know, it, it, and that's just Pollard's charm and his face, you know, his baby face where it's like, you can't be too mad at him, you know, kind of thing. Even, even if he is a scumbag, it, he, he's, he's, he's not as bad as Goldie. Goldie is like even worse, really. Goldie's like, you know, uh, beaten up on Burl and just scheming. And uh, like I said, he'd turn on Billy at any point, uh, so yeah, hey, you still got the tinge of innocence in this movie, mm-hmm. Billy, and um, it's it's like I I work with some people, you know, where I I can get mad at an employee at my job. I'm like an a, like an AM supervisor, so 
Mm-hmm. If if one of them steps out of line or I, or I got to tell them about something, you know, I, I I can be mean if I if I need to be, you know. But <laughs> the guy the guy above me, I I use the phrase he ain't got it in him. And oh yeah, it, Billy, Billy, this movie you, you can tell that he ain't got it in him to be yeah, as, as as mean as Goldie. And, um, he's he's not hard and like. I, I don't want to give I don't want to give the impression that Billy the Kid ever was hard. By the way, you know, like where he you know could just kill people without a thought. Like I I get the feeling, you know, from what I've read and seen and stuff of Billy the Kid that he was just kind of a a a, a guy who killed due to circumstance and like was a murderer because of the situations he was in and probably got a lot super lucky with a lot of the stuff he did. Um, like we were talking about Unforgiven uh, before we start recording, uh, the guy who hooks up with Clint Eastwood in that, the kid who hooks up with uh, Clint Eastwood, Schofield kid, who hooks who hooks up with Clint Eastwood's uh, character in that one, like he he's talking about how he's you know a dangerous outlaw, but he finally breaks down and admits to Clint Eastwood that yeah I, I haven't killed no one really, uh, I, I hit a Mexican with a shovel once, I don't know if he died or not kind of thing. Um, that feels like that's more what Billy the Kid's actual trajectory was in real life. Like the legend around him was a lot bigger than what his real life was. His real life was like living at ranches and in shitty places and like every once in a while, like stealing cattle or whatever or killing people uh, or shooting at people and maybe they died or maybe they didn't. And then the story gets told afterwards that, oh, yeah, Billy the Kid killed five people that night or whatever, you know, like that, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, uh, it is really romanticized. I mean, if you read, if you read the, even the Wikipedia page, a lot of the kills they they, they claimed he did are unconfirmed kills. Mm-hmm. So it could have yeah. been somebody in his gang. It could have been anybody, really. And yeah. um, I just like that this is a nice change to everything that you see, everything you've seen about Billy the Kid in in far as film goes, whether it be like the work, commercialized like comic stuff. I think there's like a Billy the Kid versus Dracula movie. Mm-hmm. Or, or the Young Guns movies, which the, none of these things are bad. It's just yeah. this is different. This this gets down to, to the marrow of you know where he came from, and not even to say okay now, now he's a killer. You really don't get that at the end of the movie. You know he killed he killed in self defense basically, and now yeah this guy who didn't have the gumption to pull the trigger ever has has now done this, and so now he's kind of got a taste for it, I guess. But they really don't. Mm-hmm. If they don't show that he has a taste for it, which I could appreciate. Yeah, you know? I, I think I think mostly he just gets over his nerves, right? Because yeah. before then he couldn't do it. And you know this this movie, I'd, I'd say in a way is a little bit on par with um, Sam Peckinpah's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid in the sense that it takes a little bit of the romance out of the Billy the Kid thing. Like uh, Chris Christopherson's Billy the Kid, who is you know way taller than what Billy was, way handsomer than what Billy was. So yep. like it, it it still sexes him up quite a bit. But in deep down, he's he's still he's presented as like a psychopath in that movie. Like he he is he's like a almost a serial killer kind of thing. Like he's he's very, very nasty. He's not a likable guy in, in the sense that for for what he's doing. But it's Chris Christopherson looking like Jim Morrison with his squinty eyes and shit and, and he looks beautiful. But um like it, it, it's very down and dirty. This is even more down and dirty. This, this, this movie really just takes any sort of idea of oh, the old west was great, 
Like, it takes it right out of the fucking script. It just throws it away. Like, people who are used to Westerns that have, like, some sort of, like, good guy versus bad guy narrative and, like, some sort of, like, mythology of the Old West where, you know, things are great or, you know, we got to fight the evil Indians or some bullshit like that. None of that's in this. This this is a very, like, life was shit back then. And, it, and if you have got anywhere in life, you probably either did it because you were born into a good family or you had to do something really shitty to to get anything. And that I, that's a thing I really respect about this film. Like, it's very uncompromising in that. I mean, he was he was miserable and poor as, as a dirt farmer's kid. And he's miserable and poor as an outlaw, too. He, so he mm-hmm. kind of he kind of ends up. You know wh- where he started. You know, back right back where he started again. So there's no, yeah. there's no winner there. So it's not, it's that romanticized as well as, hey, this is the guy who, who robbed ranchers and robbed you know stagehands or whatever you want to call it. And it's not romanticized at all. It's just, it's just yeah. there. It's re- real simple, and I, I, I love it for it, man. This is a, mm-hmm. this is a great first time watch. I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy about this. Yeah, and you know. Fucking, you know, Billy the Kid is presented in this film. He's like supposed to be about like seventeen or something. Pollard, who is very fresh faced and youthful, youthful looking here, was thirty three at the point at this point. Uh, but he pulls it off. I like I. You could buy him as a teenager, and you know, especially back then, because you know people were living way harder back then. So you know, even teenagers had some lines on their fucking faces. But um, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this one, man. Um, I, I like I like my as much as I love my um, westerns that uh, do romanticize a little bit. Like I like I said, I, I love Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Um, and then, you know, even as that even though that movie is really gritty, it is a very poetic, romanticizing of the whole Billy the Kid myth and everything like that. Uh, I love me some fucking like fuck you. The old west sucked. Uh, Hey America, it wasn't all John Wayne and shit. It, it was actually a really awful time for a lot of people, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna tell you about it. And I I think films like this are incredibly valuable for like opening a window to that thing, to like just taking that mythology out of people's heads. Like you can appreciate the mythology, you can have fun with it, just don't buy into it. Oh yeah, exactly, and they, they don't let you do that in this movie because there's, there's really yeah. no, no clear winner by the end of it. And I, yeah. um, I, I do, I enjoyed the hell out of this. And you mentioned the Romana, Romana says that I'm bad with English language, the <laughs> of, of 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 westerns, you know, especially Packer and Billy the Kid. I, I don't, I usually don't uh, herald Bob Dylan all that much, but. It's right there in the song, "Mama put my guns on the ground. I don't need them anymore." You know, it's 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 oh this the God. end of his time. This is the <clears throat> beginning of his time, and I, I I enjoyed my time with it. Um, there's not a whole lot of trivia here, um, so I'm not gonna go, go into all that. But yeah, there was like nothing. I I looked. It's like what? No, okay. No one no one remembers this film apparently. But uh, one fun fact: Michael J. Pollard and Richard Evans both appear in episodes of Star Trek. So there's that. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pollard was on the one where all the kids were like aging rapidly or some shit. Yeah, it's or... a it's a good one. It's a yeah, good yeah. one. Usually, I don't that. I'm not huge on the big original Trek uh, run. I, I've seen the movies more than the show, but that, that's a good episode. 
That was the first time I ever saw Pollard, I'm pretty sure. was back as a kid seeing him on Star Trek. I, I think that's the chubbiest his cheeks he's ever been, is in that, yeah. that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, good shit. Anything else you want to say? What do you give a 1 to 10, Lee? Uh, this one is going to go high. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing a 9 at it. I think it's really fucking good. I, I'm, honestly, I think the only reason I hold back a point is because I want a little bit more. Um, because uh, as much as uh, Legend of Frenchie King went by really quick, this one, this one felt like it went by even quicker, and it's pretty much the same length. I could have I could have took a uh, two hour version of this where they went a little deeper, um, because I I was just like enthralled by everything that was going on here. I was like, oh yeah, this is really cool shit. So uh, I'm gonna throw a nine at it. I wanted more. Yeah, it's a winner, man. Like like you said, it's really good. I, I think I would I would throw, if not a nine, close to that nine. I'm, I'm gonna throw it out there, be a nine two, just be, okay. just to keep the uh, keep for prosperity, um, <laughs> to, for for poor little, little Billy. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really terrific, and I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we did both these films actually. It's a, yeah. And uh, if you want to find this one, if if you're lucky, you could find an out of print uh, Columbia Blue DVD somewhere that that, that exists on there. Or, or you can go straight to YouTube and watch for free and enjoy yourself. It's, yeah, it's, you uh, want to you know how I watch this? How'd you watch this, sir? Remember back when we were first planning on doing this, like a couple years back, uh, you, you had it on like a Google Drive or something? Oh, I think. yeah. Yeah, the, I, the, downloaded, I downloaded it then, and it was still on my old laptop that has, has pretty much died. But I put it on a memory stick and transferred it over to my new computer to do it for the podcast. So that, like I that, still had it sitting around. That long ago, that, that yeah. download from Rare Lust, you know. Mm-hmm. Which, if you can't find it, is not an immoral thing, people, okay? It's at the... Yeah. Do it. No, Rare rare Lust <laughs> should, should... People out there, you know, podcasters, I, every, every once in a while, I, I drop rare, rare Lust on them. They're like, what? What's this? It's like, my God, there is so much on Rare Lust that you can find. Uh, and, you know, you can sign up for the fucking service where you get fast downloads. You don't have to do that. If, you know, if you got a computer on all day or whatever, you got a couple of movies you want to grab, just do the slow downloads. It takes a few hours or whatever, but still, Rare Lust, tons of shit on there, man. Yeah, good, good times, man. Um, we're we're going to come back and close out the show. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. (laughs) The truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. (laughs) That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about Giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right. We have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. 
Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. Um, glad to be here, like with my brother Lee, do, doing these two great Michael J. Pollard films. Who knows? We may, we may do a third one in the future. It's just um, I'd be up for it, man. Um, again, wonderful character actor. I, I can't say taken from us too soon, but he he was taken a few years back, and yeah, uh, deserves to be celebrated, in my opinion, in our opinion, and yeah, Lee, uh, tell the folks um where they can find and what you got coming up. Okay, you can find my podcast, They Must Be Destroyed on Site, that I do with my co-host, Lady Lee, at tmbdos.podbean.com. Um, coming up is the next episode is going to be uh, Clash of the Titans, the original, of course, from 1981. Uh, not the weird-ass remakes that uh, came out, which were like CGI monstrosities. They're like the... Uh, equivalent to the trans Michael Bay transformer films where it's like, you couldn't tell what was going on half the time. Um, yeah, no, we're going to look at some, uh, really fun, uh, stop motion near the end of the, I think it was like the last Harryhausen film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah. And like, you know, stop motion still kind of persisted through the eighties up until like the early nineties. But it, it, you know, it kind of died with like RoboCop, RoboCop 2 and shit like that before, you know, like Jurassic Park kind of obliterated everything. But um, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to take a look at that. that that'll be uh, something we're recording uh, this weekend. So it'll, it'll be uh, out probably after this is out, I imagine. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just kind of doing this and that. Our, our podcast never really has any major themes going on, you know, we, we cover a little bit of everything. The, the, the whole sort of, uh, thing we're doing right now is that I pick a movie, then lady Lee goes for the cast and finds someone in the cast that has an interesting movie. And then she picks a movie from their filmography. We do that. And then I pick something from that movie, you know, an actor from that movie and their filmography and find a movie in that. That's kind of been what we've been doing. And every once in a while we'll jump off and do something, uh, on the side, you know, we, we promise, you know, oh, we're going to do Glass Onion with original host uh, Daniel at some point. And, you know, we got some other things planned with other podcasters and stuff that will pop up here and there. But, you know, we're, we're just kind of casually going through stuff. You can never quite predict what's going to show up on They Must Be Destroyed on site. So uh, that's kind of the appeal of our podcast, I think, uh, you know, outside of our winning personalities. And they are also winning for sure. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this show. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been playing fast and loose with the butcher shop as well. You know, hopefully to get you guys two releases out a week. You know, a commentary on the beef or a, a commentary on a torchies or mm-hmm. eventually bring for Springwood and, and something else. And just to get you guys two shows out a week, just to stay consistent and not drive myself crazy. Uh, <laughs> hence the surplus shows here, which are you know not, not downplaying at all. This is, this has been a good show. It's just um. If the ladies are busy, and I can find somebody that's feeling froggy, like my brother here, um, we'll we'll do something, and I got something to put out, and that that's um, it's not a slight on them. People get busy, and uh, it is yeah. what it is. But I'm trying to be trying to be better in the new year to 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 put more content out and on the regular. So if you guys are digging, we're laying down. Thank you. Uh, come support us on the the butcher shop Facebook page and on your uh your favorite podcatcher go go rate and review um all the great shows on legion podcast but you can find this show under the butcher shop feed um along with the last call of torchies bring for springwood 
and two Drink Minimum commentaries. Um, support the Legion Patreon. That that's the yeah, thing too. Do it. That's that's where you will find all the exclusive Last Call of Torches episodes and um, the Burnt Ends um, cinema beefs, with the exception of the Cockfighter episode, because I gave you guys a, a freebie because I've been away for so long. Go look for that. That's uh, where me and Cameron Scott discussed that movie. Yeah. I think the next one I want to do, because William Fickner has been announced to come to Chiller Theater in New Jersey, and okay. I really want a signed picture, so I have to hit up a couple people about that. But um, he's in many things I love, but I think the most cagiest and Ficknerous of, of movies <laughs> is Drive Angry, and yeah. I want to talk about it. Just to, <laughs> you know. That's a fun film. Um, I, 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 I'd say that, and The Sorcerer's Apprentice are probably the most fun you could have a Nicolas Cage movie, in my opinion. I, I have to watch The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I've, I've heard you, like, throw just your your love towards this a couple times now. I need I need to check it's, this out. It's really fun. It just it just is. It's just it's a thing and you know, I want another one but I ain't gonna get it. You're done. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I, yeah I I do know that it was like, oh we're we're looking for a franchise and it was like, eh, box office says no. Yeah, and how yeah. do you how do you not be successful with, with uh Alfred Molina and, and Nicolas Cage going at it? You know, it's just uh it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. But yeah, next uh, Cinema Beef you should hear would be the Little Bill Double Bill, which we are recording on Thursday, um, which is Boogie Nights and uh, the, Unpre- the Un- and Unforgiven. I almost called The Unforgiven. That's a that's Metallica song. Not just a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's coming. Uh, two different minimum commentaries. We're going to go through the whole, the, 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 at least four John Fasano films. We start with Black Roses, that should come out the Friday after this comes out. This should have a pretty quick turnaround, actually, this episode. So if we're recording on Tuesday, I might have it out tomorrow. I might Ooh. have it out. We'll see what happens, though. Um, Black Roses, this weekend we're recording on Super Bowl weekend, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, nothing to do with football, but it has John Micklethorne in it, and we're doing Rock and Roll Nightmare. Ah, uh-huh. um, yeah, I love it. Uh, with puppets and, you know, oh gosh, I can't wait yeah. to talk about this. But uh, <laughs> there's so much to explore. Uh, come on, guys. Have you ever uh, seen the, uh, the the sequel to that that he did? No, it's bad. Yeah, it's 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 on a different level of bad than Rock and Roll Nightmare. Yeah, but all that's coming. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to to the future and getting with podcasters I haven't recorded with because sometimes scheduling's an issue with my co-host so I can say yeah I'm, it, I'm the same I've, I've got a short list right now it's like I gotta get this person on soon <laughs> so if I can if I can get you if you want to be on the show this goes to all your listeners too because that was the original spirit of the show that if a listener want to come on the show you, you're more than welcome to, to join us to say hey whatever I, I'd like to talk about this with you or just come on the commentary or something um, that's always been the spirit of my original intention of the show is to get people yeah. on. I think Donnie Rings is doing it real well with his um, horror countdown podcast, getting all kinds of different folks on there, and mm. I respect him for, for for doing that and getting getting to hear more interesting voices that you may not have heard before. So um, that guy, he's always supporting us by you know posting, doing the daily the daily the daily splash of podcasts every day. So if you're listening, right. to Donnie Rings, uh, we, we we love you for that, man. And uh, for doing that and supporting everybody, and um, goddamn dude, you're you're awesome. We love you for that. Um, Kudos. 
all this shit. Yeah, legionpodcast.com, Legion Patreon, Legion Apple iTunes. Um, take you a couple seconds to leave a rate review for for random shows. It helps us. I know it's real hard to click on that button sometimes, people, but let me tell you, it's it's a real yeah. short time and. I like iTunes is a piece of shit. I get it, but if you got iTunes running, just do it. Like, I don't have iTunes on my computer anymore, so I don't, I don't, I don't use it for that. Mm-hmm. But um, like, if, if if you're a person who still has iTunes in twenty twenty three on your computer, it, it it takes you no time at all to like drop a review. Just any bullshit. Just give us five stars and throw a review on there. You can tell us where we're. Sadomasochistic freaks. Yes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the text is. Just, just throw it on there. Tell us we're non woke pieces of shit. You know, left left yeah, wing garbage. Too woke, whatever. Because because yeah. you you know any any publicity is good publicity at this point. People, you know. It's, uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also check out that sort of weird podcast. That's a brand new podcast with Iris and uh, my favorite old curmudgeon, Mike Murphy. Yeah, Wait. Mr. Mike Murphy's like, I'm done podcasting, son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. You're never done. You're never you done, so you're never done. You never get out of it. He's <laughs> like, I bought a new mixer. Good for you, Mike. Do, do some shows, man. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I bought, bought a new soundboard, new mixer. Fuck you, Mike. Start the podcast again, <laughs> you piece of shit. Stop, stop, stop smoking your fucking pipes or whatever the fuck bullshit you do that no one cares about and start doing some more podcasting. And if you don't know, guys, we're, we're saying this out of love. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Mike, Mike Murphy is, you know, one of the OGs who kind of like mentored a lot of people I, that you hear these days doing I, podcasts. I, I, I give it to the two mics, man. Mike White, Mike Murphy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Pr- projection true. projection booth podcast, one of the, the hardest working man in podcasting. I, I will say those words, you know, to the day to the day I die. That Mike White is a uh, now the work speaks for itself. Yeah, him, man. He lays it down. And he literally, if you get, if you got to be on his show, he he sends you an outline of stuff that's going to be on the show. You know, mm, nice. and, and listening materials to listen to for the show. Yeah. You know? Awesome. <laughs> so he's uh, I like it. I he's like super it. organized, unlike this show. But he, you know, what he does? He'll come on this show and appreciate me as well. That's that's what that's what a good guy does. See, you know. Mm, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. I, I always, I've always got the impression that he doesn't feel bigger than anybody else. No, re- real humble guy, man. Yeah. But um, yeah. With that, um, all this, all this banter at the end. Um, yeah. Thanks for your support. Thanks for coming back, listening. If you haven't been away, if you've been away for a while, um, especially if you're a person who's like l- waiting for the dirty little Billy fucking review from like two years ago that we promised probably on one of one of the other shows. Like, oh yeah, we're going to be doing this next, and we ne- it never happened. Oh, you know y'all was waiting for this. Think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think that was the thing that probably happened. Like, you probably mentioned, like, oh, yeah, we're doing the first Pollard show. And it was like, oh, we're going to do Dirty Little Billy next. That's coming in a couple weeks. And it was like two years later. I was like, okay. There's like at least two people out there, like, finally, these fuckers got to it. Finally, man. They they, they went mm-hmm. back They went back to the midget well again with Michael J. Pollard. You know. <laughs> but, um... This has been great. Thank you, Lee. Mm-hmm. And um, this has been your Sin Beef Podcast, where if you've got beef, we've got the grinder. See you next time. Bye-bye.